This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Joining us now is Wendy Patrick, a career prosecutor, someone who is very familiar with uh, what we've been dealing with for the last few months, actually the last several years in this country, and that is the issue of school shootings or mass shootings by young people in America. Wendy, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, I'm going to get right to it. We've got yet another mass shooter uh, who was known to law enforcement uh, for the 4th of July shooting in Highland Park. Uh, And, you know, right before then we had Uvalde and it goes on and on. It seems that these mass shooters very often are between the ages of 18, 22 white males. And we're starting to draw some conclusions uh, are there any conclusions to be drawn in terms of commonalities? You know, Judge Janine, there are lots of commonalities when you especially look at young people that end up uh, committing this kind of mass carnage. You know, one of the ways I describe school shooters is they often wave their own red flags. The key for law enforcement, friends, family, classmates, teachers is we have to look and listen. Now, we may think, gosh, that sounds so simple in retrospect, but when you look back at a timeline to see who might have missed what when, we often find that these people were brought to the attention of authorities, either by classmates, teachers, or even their own family members, but then we question the the completeness and the thoroughness of the follow-up. Well, you wrote a book called Red Flag, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That's my latest book. Okay, so what about these red flag laws? Apparently, this kid, I I don't even want to mention his name, okay? This kid, the shooter in Highland Park, apparently he tried to commit suicide in 2019. Then a few months later, he said that he was going to kill every member of his family. It turns out he had 17 knives, one dagger, one sword. uh, And uh, the police ended up taking the knives out but returned them because the father said they were his, even though the father had been threatened. So that information was sent to the state police. The kid was a loner, uh, and we often, it seems to me that, that, that at that point, if they even looked at his social media, they would have found stick figures, you know, in shootings and, you know, stick figures with blood. You know, what, how much of a red flag do we need for law enforcement to act? Yeah, you know, that's the question, is how much do you need to actually be able to have the laws in different states uh, have the teeth to do what's necessary to ensure somebody doesn't have access to guns, for example? And these red flag laws, many of them are designed to allow and empower the people that know these, these young men and women, whoever it is that ends up committing the shooting, the best. You know, it's one thing to say somebody's a loner at school. Well, you know, we all knew loners at school that didn't go on to be school shooters. 
But who are the people closest to these suspects that have been able to observe them over time, know sort of a baseline of behavior, know when they are hunting versus howling, as we say in threat assessment? In other words, not everybody that threatens to commit a shooting will actually do it. We have to be able to have access to the people that are in a position to know the difference. Okay, that is, you know what, Wendy Patrick, hunting versus howling. So they can say, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to shoot up the school, uh, but there might not be the other criteria that you look for. In this case, with this particular kid, he comes from a dysfunctional family. Parents rarely picked him up. They had to call, the uh, the school had to call his parents to say, your kids are done with sports, somebody come and get them. And they, they were always the last kids to be picked up. Uh, and then you've got the kid who tried to commit suicide, the same kid who had all the knives, who got the social media. Um, and then, you know, was there enough there? Why didn't the parents do something? Are the parents responsible, Wendy Patrick, for something here? Yeah, we always look at the parents first. We look at the parents because they're the ones that know their children the best. But remember, that's also that rose-colored lens. Knowing your children the best also means giving them the benefit of the doubt. And that could be honestly underestimating the potential for violence. You know, and that's why these red flag laws are one of many tools that we have in our tool chest in examining whether or not somebody actually presents a threat. Now, nobody wants to be wrong. You know that through your career as a prosecutor and a judge, as you want to do everything you can to err on the side of caution. Mm. But what does that look like when you're looking through the lens of a loving parent versus a concerned teacher at school or perhaps a, 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 a classmate that really is more of an acquaintance and has that more objective lens that they can look at behavior. Now, I say all of that with this understanding that this is the proverbial, perhaps, the axe murderer next door, right? The neighbor that says, oh, he's such a nice guy, and then you (laughs) press for more information, and you find that this neighbor didn't really know him at all. So that's why we have to be very careful as to who we're asking for information and, and the quantity and quality of the information we can receive. Well, you know, Wendy, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you're a veteran prosecutor. I did this, too. Uh, you know, and you always find a neighbor who say about that, you know, the murderer. He was such a nice guy. You know, he's a quiet guy. Well, you know, he doesn't necessarily show himself to people as a uh, as a mass murderer. And uh, but then sometimes they do. And, you know, when you look at this, uh, you know, guns and these situations with guns now, you know, I believe in the Second Amendment, but people are saying, you know what, these kids shouldn't be able to get their hands on a gun. In this case, this kid would not have gotten his hand on a gun, but for his father signing that, uh, uh, they call it a FOID, F-O-I-D card, giving him the ability to buy a gun under the age of 21 in the state of Illinois. So the father has some culpability here just on that alone, it seems. Well, the the child wouldn't have been able to get a gun legally. But remember, you know, as you and I have talked about over the years in the course of our professions, not everybody that wants to commit a shooting purchases a gun legally. And so, you know, it's it's unusual for the law to go after parents that have in some fashion facilitated the children getting access to guns. We've actually seen a couple of those prosecutions lately, and no doubt their investigators are looking at all avenues. Mm-hmm. But many 
many people that are able to get these guns, unfortunately and sadly, it is just too easy without, maybe even much easier, without going through the legal process. You know, that is such a great point. And, you know, think about it. Illinois has some of the toughest gun laws in the country, and Highland Park is right outside of Chicago and you know he could have gotten them illegally but the truth is and we have to deal with the facts as we you know Wendy Patrick uh, as we find them and he had a legal gun but but for his father signing that card he would not have gotten them so that in itself as a prosecutor as a DA I would have told my prosecutors you're going to file against the father then the second situation is this the kid had 17 knives a dagger and a sword he said he was going to kill us, everybody in the family. He then, the police then come in response to a domestic violence call. And the police had visited that family frequently, Wendy. And yet the father, they take the guns out. And then all of a sudden, the next day, the father says, oh, they were really my knives. Now, that father created a scenario where he covered up for his son. Again, I would have gone after the father. I mean, I, I was very aggressive. But in that situation, the father could have maybe gotten some something where this kid who tried to commit a, a, a suicide, who wanted to kill his whole family, who wanted to get a, uh, a, a long gun. I mean, come on. Yeah, you know, sometimes when you look at the actions that parents take in protecting their children, you know, in some fact patterns, they even end up being accessories after the fact. Yep. In other words, sometimes they know that their children are dangerous or have committed dangerous actions and they hide evidence. I have no, I have no indication that's true here yet. But remember, you also brought up a very good point. It's not just guns that kill people. It's mm-hmm. knives and vans driven into crowds and so many other instrumentalities that people and young people in particular can easily get their hands on without needing anybody to co-sign for anything. Yep, how true that is. Wendy Patrick, what what do you think we've learned? I mean, you know, when we look at Aurora, uh, when we look at Parkland, we look at Sandy Hook, and we look at Uvalde and Columbine, why is it the male, the young male, the, you know, the loner? What's that about? Yeah, you know, sometimes we learn that in, in many of the cases you mentioned, they have glamorized this type of interpersonal mm. violence. And they've also really drawn encouragement, sadly, from some of these mass shooters in the past who have been glamorized. So your decision not to publish the name of this shooter is right on the money. That would be the direction we would need to go to take the glamour out of this carnage and dissuade young people that maybe are loners, maybe need friends or mental health treatment usually, from picking up a gun and and deciding this is the way to seek notoriety. Yeah, and then, you know, their idea of seeking notoriety and the idea that they would be someone who would be, you know, idolized or remembered. So this kid is going to be convicted. I don't think there's any question, Wendy, and you and I both know he can proffer the insanity defense, but that's not going to work. He dressed up as a woman, okay? He tried to get away with it. He hid it. He knew to run away. He's not, it seems, to me, you know, he didn't. He's not psychotic. He was connected. What do you think? Insanity or not? That's exactly right. He can raise it, but the facts don't support it. I mean, the strategy, the you know, the, the all of the different preparations he took, the disguise to get in the position he wanted, all of that strategy not only shows the kind of preparation that would be necessary to pull this off, but that he knew right from wrong, which of course, as you and I and our listeners know, is the legal definition of insanity.
Right, right. And uh, but at the same time, what should have happened to this kid? I mean, when if he had gone in, if they had done what we call in New York a 730 or some kind of a Baker's Law on this kid, what do you think would have happened, uh, Wendy Patrick? He would have gone in. They would have done some kind of mental health thing. They wouldn't have kept him in a facility, would they? No, it's interesting you say that. You know, obviously, it's it's we can't predict with complete certainty, but we do know, looking at many other similar cases, that sometimes people that are predisposed to commit an act like this go in or evaluate it and walk right out the door because they don't at that time present any of the type of symptomology that would allow a hospital to keep them. Now, it's impossible in retrospect to guess what might have happened if there had been some sort of a commitment. We can just look at other cases and know that it's unusual for somebody that doesn't present any type of psychosis uh, for them to have any basis to keep them. Wendy Patrick, veteran prosecutor, I must tell you, it has been a delight talking to you. Although the subject matter is far from a delight. I love talking to people who know of what they speak. You don't just talk the talk. You've walked the walk. Wendy Patrick, author of the book Red Flags. It was great to have you on the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Have a great day, Wendy. You as well. Thank you for having me. All right. Our pleasure. And on 9-11, we vowed to never forget Help America. Keep that promise. Donate $11 a month to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation at T2T.org. That's T2T.org.